Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It is the Monday show. Finally, back on a Monday with myself, Andrew Musgrove, and and our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. Now we're going to reflect on Newcastle's two-two draw with Leeds United. But to begin with, I'm going to bring you guys a message of positivity because. For some, especially on social media, it appears that the wheels have come off for Newcastle United in the race for the top four. But it hasn't. You know, I'm not playing down the feeling of those who are nervous. I get it. For Newcastle are so close to achieving something that looked so unlikely. But the message is simple. It is in their hands. It is It is in Newcastle United's hands. Forget about Liverpool and Manchester United for Newcastle, but can't control nor impact what they do. Forget about Brighton too. They may have thrashed Arsenal, but as the great Joe Harvey would often say, let us not worry about them and let them worry about us. About Bruno's magic, Trippier's leadership and Wilson's goals. And for sure, Eddie Howe and his players and his staff stumble across this unrehearsed and poorly written and put together monologue. The message is simple once again. It is in your hands, top four qualification. The context needs to be applied as well. This time last season, we were celebrating Newcastle retaining their Premier League status. Fears of a cold, wet and windy Wednesday night in Stoke still very much etched on our brains. 12 months on, we're panicking about missing out on Champions League football nights on the continent. For however this season ends, Eddie Howe and his players and his coaching staff deserve a huge amount of praise for turning this football club into a competitive one. And whether they finish third, fourth, fifth or sixth, it's been a great season. But here on Everything is Black and White podcast, we're not even going to consider anything but a top four finish. Because again, it's in Newcastle's hands. And it starts with Thursday at St James's Park, the fortress. It is our house. And with the row of all four corners, this ever-loyal fan base has the chance to set the tone and to rattle the visitors. There are few greater arenas to play in when St James's Park is rocking and few teams can handle that noise that echoes around. We know if Newcastle players they have done for the majority of this season, then trips to the San Siro or the Camp Nou can become a reality. So on Thursday, don't hide behind your hands. Don't let the nerves get the better of you. Help the lads to get over the line, cheer every kick, every tackle, every corner and every goal. Newcastle's Champions League destiny is in their own hands. So let's get it done. Are you feeling inspired? Oh, goosebumps there. Oh, chills. Get that blasted out at the St. James's Park speakers on Thursday and they'll be all right, eh? Yes, look, they're going to do it. We're at home against Brighton, then against Leicester. St. James's Park rocking. You know, I know there is a bit of doom and gloom, but look, Newcastle, it's, an, it's a, their own destiny. They control it. They can, they, can, they can have Champions League football wrapped up before the final day of the season. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm feeling nervous. I think if Arsenal had, had torn Brighton a new one yesterday, I would have been a little more, bit more calm. But yeah, it, it's getting to the nitty gritty. It's squeaky bum time as you text me on, on Saturday afternoon. Um, but as you say, two games at St James's Park, huge test, um, but a massive advantage for Newcastle United. The mighty win says, still in our own hands, no time to panic. And that's the message I wanted to get across. There isn't any time, it's not a time to panic. Newcastle are third in the league out of merit. The goal difference is brilliant. And look, yeah, we all wanted a win against Leeds United. But, you know, the alternative is better to get a point than it is to lose the game. And yes, we're going to discuss the game. And the analysis, it isn't overwhelmingly, you know, 
party-like. I don't want to say negative because I've just done a big monologue of positivity, <laughs> you know, but we are going to have to be critical in, in, in some uh, elements of the performance. But again, the important point was not to lose. And when it comes down to it, that point against Leeds United at Ellen Road, it could be a huge, huge point in the race for Champions League football. It could be a massive point. And I think we'll obviously know a lot more tonight, Monday night, obviously depending on when this podcast goes out, Liverpool, hopefully Leicester can get the job done. But as you say, it's still in their hands, there's still that comfortable buffer. Um, and look, Liverpool have got to go a long way to, to leapfrog on the Manchester United or stuttering as well. Still in your cattle's hands, as you say. Graham says, how are you, man? What are you doing a Monday show on a Monday for? What's going on? It's meant to be a Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, to coin a phrase, says, it sounds like someone is panicking to me. I hope that it wasn't it, it, me. I'm trying to get everyone inspired and motivated. <laughs> I'm not panicking. Look, top four football, we're going to have it sewn up. Um, I, I am confident. I do think, though, um, obviously, as you mentioned there, Brighton beating Arsenal, that will set a lot of people's nerves, you know, really, really going. But then you look at what happened against Everton. You know, no one expected Brighton to fold in that way, and they haven't done that many times. Um, the... the you know, the Premier League this season has just produced some weird and wonderful results. And while you do look at that Arsenal game, you say Brighton played really well. I don't think that necessarily means they're going to play that well against Newcastle. Anything can happen. I just think with the fan base absolutely rocking the display that's going to go on with war flags, you know, I just think it is the perfect night for Newcastle to take that what will be hopefully the penultimate step to qualifying for the Champions League. Yeah, I've said it before. Um, this season, but there's just been something special about nights under the lights this season. A Thursday night game, you know, the atmosphere is going to be very, very intense. Newcastle have already played Brighton this season. I mean, got to cast your mind back a long way to the very start of the season, but they'd more than matched them, took a point away from the Amex. Um, and you've just got to hope that it's one of those nights that we've seen like Arsenal last season and Manchester United last month, and, you know, the crowd sort of carry them through it. As Graham says here, I think the Brighton result could just focus our lads' minds and also St James's part not to uh, take it easy and to go full throttle. Simon Natwa says it looks like Aaron uh, might be nervous. I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie, and I, I feel enthused by your speech, and I, I completely agree with the sentiment. But I just think Arnie Castle coming just a you know. Or they just sort of really wanting that finish line or they're crawling over it. It looks like there's a lot of tired bodies out there. Brighton with these games in hand with a you know a big show-stopping performance like that yesterday. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm just trying to keep the feet on the ground. Graham says, Aaron is always nervous. <laughs> yeah, he He's not wrong to be fair, I always am. You are. You did text us, didn't you? You said you were, you were, you were feeling nervous about Thursday. But I just feel, you, you know, you are spot on. They are looking... Uh, tired, I think, against Leeds. We saw they were really running on empty. But again, they know what's at stake here. And I just feel, we, we, we say it a lot and we're very cliche with it, but it is that 12th man element on, on Thursday. And the fans have a massive part to play on what happens on Thursday. Um, and you just have to hope that the, the players can match the energy and the atmosphere that the, the fans will bring on Thursday and also that Eddie Howe has had enough time to work on what went wrong against Leeds and to turn that around ahead of the visit of Brighton because let's be quite frank it wasn't the best performance at all from Newcastle United against Leeds United on paper that's a game you should be winning if you're a top four you're serious top four contenders you want all three points there you should be winning that game Newcastle United 
especially when you go ahead with with such little time remaining on the clock, you you need to be seeing that game out. Uh, but just the overall performance, there was something lacking about it. And I think it probably does go back to their energy levels and are they just running on empty? It, it was a surprise for me because we've seen so often this season and especially in the last month or two, Newcastle, when they struggle to get into the game, but then they find that goal that takes them ahead in the second half. We saw it at Brentford, they kicked on. We saw it against Southampton where they really struggled, went behind. As soon as they get that, that second or third goal and they're ahead, we see them kick on. And when Wilson scored that second penalty on Saturday, I thought, right, they're going to kick on, we're going to get a third, we're going to get a fourth. But I don't know, they just, they just didn't look the same. They created very little from open play in both halves, I thought. Um... And I think there's just, as you say, a lot of tired bodies out there. I think, you know, we talked about it off air this morning. The defence for the first goal was very, very poor. Um, some of the players that have been absolutely, you know, mainstays in this team all season are starting to look a little bit leggy. Bruno, maybe Trippier. Um, it's been a long season for some of these players, not helped at all by the World Cup, not helped by the pressure that has been put on them having to try and stay in the top four. And I just hope that, they can just find a little bit more and just dig a little bit deeper for the final three games. Which I'm sure they will, by the way, knowing Eddie Howe's teams. Fingers crossed. Darren says, we need to stop leaking goals. That was the one thing when the opposition is attacking, you feel like we are going to leak goals, which we weren't doing in the first half of the season. And again, to concede so early on, I mean, early goals are going to be key in the remainder of these games because if there's an early goal on Thursday against, against Newcastle, and it's actually against Newcastle, then the nerves, I think, will start to settle in. And it, it, we talk about St. James Park being this fantastic fortress, but when nerves start settling in, it can it can change your game. And again, it's understandable to be nervous. So I think Thursday, Keane Newcastle get an early goal, but as Darwin says there, to stop leaking goals just in general, because again, against Leeds, to, to concede so early on, it wasn't the best goal in the world. There's questions over whether... The defence should have done better. Nick Pope should have done better. I think Eddie Howe will be disappointed in the in the, in the fashion that they did concede uh, first at Leeds. I, I'd agree with that. I think it was really, really interesting because I think a lot of fans would have went into that game thinking it's a big Sam team fighting at the bottom. They're going to sit and defend. And actually, they didn't. And within the first 10 or 15 seconds, Leeds had actually given away a free kick because they were pressing so intensely on Newcastle's back line. And that's what we saw the first half. Were Newcastle ready for it? Maybe not. Um, you know, we've watched the replays of the first goal this morning and there's a lot of standing around. Nobody really knows whose man is who. We've obviously disagreed off air about whether Pope's to blame. I personally think he does well to stop the goal. But then you've got to look at Alexander Isak, stood dead in his tracks. Luke Ehrlin wants that rebound more. Um, and as, you know... Well, just before we get onto the screenshot that I put on the screen of when Patrick Bamford has put the ball into the box... I think blame is the wrong word to use. I'm not going to blame Nick Pope for that first goal. Should he have done better in the way he directs the ball? I would argue potentially. Now, you said to me, it's come out of a pace. What, what is he meant to do in that situation? However, I think if you're Nick Pope and you're looking back over that today, you'll be slightly disappointed that you've pushed it straight back into the area because, look, I was never a professional goalkeeper, but I did play in goal when I was younger. And the first thing you kind of taught is when the ball comes in, if you can't catch it, you do not push it back into the into the area. In an ideal world, obviously, he tips that around the post. But I think when you look at that and look at that screenshot, who you know that's on the screen right now, three defenders, 
or go side before that cross comes in. Alexander Izak pretty much level with Luke Ayling when that cross comes in. Pope, as I say, it's coming at him quick. It's a split-second reaction. He does very well to stop it. One of those defenders has got to be mopping up. Alexander Izak, fantastic going forward. Not going to rate his chances as a left-back. I'm not sure Pope's to blame for that. Yes, he'll probably look at that and think, I should have done better, but that goal was so avoidable and Pope... You know, was sort of left a bit helpless by his defence, I think. Again, Nick, if you watch it, I'm not blaming you for it. I'm just saying you could have tipped it around the post, maybe. <laughs> the point being is that if the defence do their job here, you know, Nick Pope's got an easier uh, save to make because we, we did this a few weeks back. I can't quite remember what game it was. Um, there was an element on that. Was it? The, there was a shot on the edge. But anyway, and I was getting, I got a little bit angry at the, at the defence because, again, this is, I've got just got schoolboy defending written down on my pad here because it is schoolboy defending. I mean, first of all, there's no way Patrick Bamford should be allowed to get down that left-hand side. Trippier just doesn't follow him. And then the ball's in the box. And if you look here at the players, Newcastle United players in the box, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now, you could arguably say that six of them out of the seven are not marking a man at all. And there's not a man really close to any of the... Four, well, th- there's four Leeds players in the box. Dan Byrne is trying to track Rodrigo. The other three that are, are just they're just sitting and they could set up camp there. I think if you hadn't watched the game and you were looking at that, you'd probably think that it's in the closing stages. You wouldn't have said that that was first 10, 15 minutes of a game where Newcastle is actually more than match leads. Yeah, it's, it was a poor one to concede, definitely. And you mentioned that he's uh, letting his man go. Um, yeah, dis- disappointing, but I think the defence as a whole have got to do. I mean, you know, the two centre-backs, who are they marking there? Joe Linton, again, he's kind of in no man's land. You've got Willick coming in. It's a little bit of a mess, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it, it sort of set the tone um, for the game. And I think looking back at that as a whole, how will be very disappointed at that, more so than Nick Pope will be disappointed by his save. <laughs> I'm not I'm blaming Nick Pope. <laughs> Nick, don't write in. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we'll, let, let, well, let's talk about Isaac because... Another big discussion over the weekend has been about this experiment with Isaac and Wilson. And is it working? Is it the right time to do it? Look, he's he, Eddie Howe. His his. I'm not going to say his bout of pressure because a lot of people wanted. He he hasn't made this decision because everyone was saying play Isaac and Wilson together. Um, but it's happened. It's not worked. I don't think he should have done it on Saturday against Leeds because it just didn't work against Arsenal. Um, I don't think he should do it against Brighton either. If it was me. Isaac, I would play up top, and then you look at bringing potentially Anthony Gordon or Alan St. Maxman on the left hand side. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, anybody who's a regular viewer or listener knows that I was always against it from the outset. Um, I would personally make a change for Brighton. I think you need to get an out and out winger back on the flank, someone like Maxi, maybe even Gordon. Um, but as to who starts up front, uh, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm going to sit on the fence and I say that I don't actually mind who starts up front. I think to drop Callum Wilson in the goal-scoring form that he's in would be very, very harsh. But also, you know, I think it it, it might be a game that suits Alexander Rizak. Um And although he didn't score on Saturday, the two penalties that Newcastle United got were from his positioning and his running and his confidence. So... I think Howe's got a luxury of starting either of them and I don't think the team gets weakened on, on Thursday. Thank you very much for listening to the episode so far. Andrew Musgrave here. I just want to point you guys in the direction of a live event that we're holding on May the 25th. That's a Thursday night. 
We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre myself and Newcastle United writer Kieran Kelly and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes and our chief Newcastle United writer Lee Ryder. The Daily Mirror Simon Bird will also be on the panel. But to kick things off, we'll have a club legend with us. Arguably one of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Alan Shearer is a massive fan of this man. It is Norberto Solano. This is your opportunity to come and meet a Newcastle United legend and talk about all things Newcastle United with our panel. Hopefully, by that time, Newcastle will have secured top four football, so there's going to be plenty to talk about. The brilliant season so far, what's to come in the summer transfer window, and then those nights on the continent, hopefully against Barcelona or an Inter Milan. It's going to be a great night. To secure your ticket, hit that link in the description to this episode, and head over to eventbrite.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great evening, raising really important funds as well for the Newcastle United fans food bank. So hit that link, secure your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you on May the 25th. The mighty win says Pope had to put the pull the ball from behind him. Amazing save, definitely not his fault. Yeah. On the Isaac Wilson kind of question, if you're watching live, let us know in the comments what you would do. I just feel like. Thursday suits Lewis Dunk if it's Callum Wilson, you know, that physical battle. Whereas when Isaac's played up front, he's still drifting from the wide. I think if Lewis Dunk and whoever it might be, they played the young lad on loan from Chelsea, didn't they, uh, against Arsenal, whether Webster will be back, I, I don't know. But I just feel like if you've got Isaac running at you and you're Lewis Dunk and you're constantly having to, to pedal backwards, check over each shoulder, I think you're going to have more success if you're in Newcastle United than you are, you know, a muscle-for-muscle muscle kind of battle. Yeah, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. And I think, actually, when you look at the, the limited chances Newcastle United made on Saturday afternoon, a lot of them came through Isaac. Obviously, that first penalty was from him, you know, daring to run. I mean, it was an absolutely shambolic tackle from the Leeds defender. The second one is him trying to win that header. And even, you know, on another day, Newcastle would have won it when he was played through at the end by Anthony Gordon, just sort of mistimed his run a bit. Um, at the end, as you say, on the other hand, Callum Wilson in the form he's in, you know, he's enjoying one of his best goal scoring forms in front of goal since he's he's joined the team. It's a good luxury to have for Howe, but but I, I I do agree with you that Isaac would probably pose that type of Brighton defence more of a problem. Roger says, I agree with you, Andrew. Isaac's wasted on the left wing twice. Lorraine says Pope has to learn to gather and hold on to the ball. What with goalies now, keep hitting the ball away. Uh, case in point on Saturday. Darren says, maybe go with Alan St. Maximum Wilson or Isaac and Murphy against Brighton to start. Drop Miggy to the bench with Wilson or Isaac. Yeah, you're right, Aaron. It's a, it is a positive dilemma to have. You just maybe wishing you're not having to make such a big decision in such a big game. Um, Let's get back on to the Leeds game then. Newcastle conceded a penalty again. The defence, very easy for Leeds. And, you know, we, we talk about the side that opposition teams tend to target. And we all often say, look, it's Dan Byrne. Dan Byrne is the one that teams think is the weak link. But against Leeds, it looked like they were targeting that right-hand side. And Trivia, he's been brilliant. You know, he will be on the nomination list, you would think, for many for, for player of the season. But 
he had a torrid time, I thought, on Saturday against Leeds, and they would they, they seemed to me anyway to be talking that side of 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 Newcastle, and that's where the penalty came down that side. Of course, it was Joe Linton, but again, so easy. They, they drifted past into the box, and you know it, you can't do that against Brighton. You know, with the players they've got, there's going to have to be more energy. They're going to have to be closer to them. They're just going to have to be a bit stronger and a bit more clinical with the ball at their feet to you know to to make sure. Brighton don't get into the box in the same fashion. But yeah, what did you make of, of that, that that penalty that obviously, thankfully, was missed in the end? A, a poor one to give away. You know, credit to Joe Linton for tracking back, but I thought it was a sloppy foul in the box, one he, he shouldn't have been trying to make. I agree with your assessment that you know that part of the pitch looked very sort of exposed on Saturday in between sharing trips. Um, and I'll be completely honest, I was fearing the worst at that point. When, when Simon Hooper pointed the spot, I was thinking... 2-0 down at Ellen Road with them playing like this, it's, it would have been a very, very long road back. Um, thankfully, Nick Pope was on hand to make another incredible save. It was a great save, and then to get the... Great save. To, to get the rebound. The, yeah, the ball away, and, you know, Patrick Bamford, when you look down, I guess you look really is down. Um, and then Newcastle go up the other end, and they, they, they get back in the game, um, a, a penalty them, themselves. And it comes at the right time, you think. And, and like you said earlier, you would think from then they, they kick on. But yeah, what, what did you make of the penalty? I mean, no question, it's a, it's a penalty. It's a very clumsy from uh, Max Rover. Yeah, Stonewall penalty. Um, very clever play from Isaac to just knock it away from the last minute. Um, again, we saw those little mind games with Kieran Trippier picking up the ball. I think they're going to have to start... Um, you know, finding a new tactic because I think as soon as Trippier picked up the ball, I was like, he's not taking that penalty. Um, very interesting though here after the game, and it was something I hadn't really thought about um, myself. But obviously, Callum Wilson took both penalties on Saturday. Alexander Rizak has scored both of his for Newcastle, um, and Eddie Howe was obviously asked post match who his, his penalty taker was, and he sort of said he doesn't really mind, which I think is a you know again another you know very big positive to have. Um, Callum Wilson, though, he just looks like he's never going to miss at the minute. I thought first penalty, fantastic. Second one, you know, the pressure's always on you when you've got to take a second one against the same goalkeeper. Um, yeah, although Newcastle didn't make too much remote and play, I thought their penalties were absolutely fantastic. Uh, David says, I think Burns should go to centre-back and you drop Shower Botman for a bit. We are so leaky. Or three at the back with Target and Trippier out wing-backs. What do you make of that? Um, in theory, potentially, I think at this stage of the season, it's a huge gamble to start changing formations and personnel in a back four that's you know still got the best defensive record in the league. I get that everyone's points, and I completely agree with the sentiment that they're starting to leak goals, starting to look a bit shaky. But to suddenly move Dan Byrne back into centre back where he hasn't played since early this season, I'm not too sure. It's the best move to do. Maybe pre-season, maybe next season. Yeah, he's not going to make wholesale changes. Yeah. Not that's, that's going to change the formation, I don't think. Barry says Trippier was awful on Saturday. And I think it probably goes to emphasise the fact that Newcastle haven't got a replacement for him. Obviously, Crafts out and he did a fantastic job when he needed to fill in the last time around. But there isn't really a replacement that you could bring in. And if Trippier does need a rest, obviously, you would think with three games to go, um, he's not going to get that rest. But... It emphasises again where they need to to maybe buy in the summer. Yeah, it's a shame we haven't seen more of of Harrison Ashby. Obviously, he came in in January as as sort of the the backup. Um, obviously, struggled with injury after joining from West Ham. I think pre season's big for him. Hopefully, next season we can see a little bit more 
rotation, a little bit more of Ashby in the first team. Um, because he's really very, you know, clearly a highly rated talent. Um, let's get on to then. I mean, actually, what the other big discussion is all about Bruno, uh, and whether he's fit. He's clearly not fully fit, is he? You can see he just doesn't look himself. He looks like at times he's 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 limping out there, and I think if. The, the end of the season wasn't so close or Newcastle were maybe in the position that we were last season where there was nothing to really play for, we wouldn't be seeing Bruno Gumrush in the side at the moment because quite clearly he's not at his best. And it was really interesting actually because his pass led to the penalty and the commentator on match of the day actually said in that moment of play, another overhead pass from Bruno and that kind of summed up his day on, on Saturday. There was a couple of moments of magic when the ball was put over to Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon you know, gets brought down. And he's clearly still able to pull off them passes, but not as consistently. He's not performing as consistent as we're used to. And I've actually seen suggestions to whether, and we've spoken about it today off air, do you use him as an impact sub in the remainder of the games? Or are you saying to him and to our listeners, and Eddie Howe is going to be saying to the fans, Look, a 70% fit Bruno is better um, starting the game and trying to get him through 90 minutes than bringing him off the bench with half an hour to go. That would be my school of thought. I think even if you've got... and, and I, It's really interesting with Bruno because we're sort of in uncharted territory. He's came, you know, 15, 16 months ago and he hasn't really put a bad spell of form together until maybe recently the last three games, I think, have been noticeably below par. But to those people saying, oh, well, let's give him a rest, you know, between now and the end of the season, who on earth do you bring in? And and that is the, the genuine question. You've got no Sean Longstaff at the minute. I'm not ha- I'm not having for a minute that I'd prefer to have Elliot Anderson in the middle of a Bruno, even a 70% fit Bruno in this team it is a better call for me. So it's sort of, a, you know, not a pointless discussion, but I'm sort of not one that I really want to buy into because I just think who... Do you bring him in for him? There isn't really an option there, especially with Richie now out until the end of the season. You've got to stick with him and just hope that, like the others, he can just sort of crawl over the line for the next three games. He's clearly not fit, though. I mean, yes, there were some fantastic moments from him on Saturday afternoon, but he looks a far cry from the player we saw at the start of the season. The mighty win says Bruno on one leg is better than any other option. Darren says start with Bruno. The coin of phrase says start him and take him off for... Uh, the final third. Roger says when Bruno was suspended, our form dived. He's amazing. And Barry says that is madness. Bruno has to play one leg yeah. or none. No one's doubting his ability. It's just very noticeable that he he's just not able to play the way he has done it. You know, he needs to get that rest and recuperation through the summer. Uh, the well on the, the discussion of mid- midfielders, a lot has been said, especially again in reaction to the draw with Leeds to whether Newcastle made a mistake in January not bringing in a centre midfielder. They spent £40 million Anthony Gordon. That was the big signing. They were linked to several centre midfielders. And again, we know this summer that's where they're going to be aiming for, most likely a defensive uh, centre midfielder. Did they make a mistake in January not bringing in one to cover Shelby's absence, You know his exit? And I'm not saying Shelby was the answer because, by goodness, we know he was not the answer. And um, I was happy to see him leave. I would have been happier had someone come in. So uh, did they make a mistake? Yeah, I'd say so. I think if you gave Eddie uh, Eddie Howe the option to to rewind time, 
he would definitely be going back and either not letting Shelby go or making sure there was a quick, even a temporary replacement brought in. Um, you know, the first press conference after the January window, Eddie Howe Eddie was asked, are you light? And he basically just came out and gave us a straight answer and said, yeah, we're very light in that position. That hasn't been helped by Longstaff, obviously being injured, Matt Ritchie out at the end of the season, Bruno having that little dip in form, still, you know, his ankle's clearly still not right. Um, I think that, that everyone knows the light in that in that department and they should have went out in January and, and even, as I say, just got a loan in or something. Well, I looked at the centre midfielders who were signed by Premier League clubs in January. One was Andreas Santos, who Newcastle was strongly linked with, but he was loaned back to the club he moved from um, in Brazil. He, he's joined Chelsea. Um, then you had Naura Hamada, who joined Crystal Palace, 21-year-old, joined for £10 million from Stuttgart. He's featured seven times for Palace, but hasn't featured uh, since March 19th, and he was on the bench for the first time the weekend just gone. Uh, but eight games not in the squad. I think that probably coincides with the, the managerial switch there. So that was one of the options there. Uh, Weston McKenney came in on loan from Juventus to Leeds United, which many people, I think, they would, they would have taken him, him here in Newcastle. But obviously he had that American link with Jesse Marsh and Tyler Adams as well. So that one probably sorted quite easily there. Um, Mario Lamina was the other one who was strongly linked as well. Uh, he joined Wolves from Nice. When you look at the players who, who did move to the Premier League, I mean, mm, well, yeah, one's for the future. You could see Mario Lamina, uh, a stopgap potentially, West McKenney has a, a massive, massive fans all over the, the globe as he recently played for Juventus. Um, but, I mean, did any of them names, are you looking at them and thinking, what if, could any of them names done a job, you know, in the situation Newcastle find themselves in now? Maybe I think McKenney was the one in January where everyone sort of sat up and thought that's a, that's quite a you know coup for Leeds to get him from Juventus. I think he asked Leeds fans now it hasn't worked out. Um, they're still not too sure whether he sort of you know plays well in a ten or as a centre midfielder. Ultimately, I think they were caught a bit on the hot with Shelby. You know Eddie Howe didn't expect to lose him in January. They left. They lost him with not too many days left in the window to find a replacement. They probably didn't want to go out and spend a lot of money on a player that, you know, wasn't initially on their list or wasn't initially a target. Um, as I say, they've been very unlucky with injuries, obviously. Uh, should they, should they have gone and moved things? I'm obviously, we're talking about them on the verge of qualifying for the top four, which accelerates their their project plan by three, four, five years, potentially. So they're going to have to change the plan for the summer you know, compared to what they probably would have had in mind at the start of this, this season so why not change your plan in January and go okay look Shelby has got I know there wasn't that much time to sort of replace him but why not bring a, a sign in forward because we sh you get the point you know yeah why, why I, not? I get the point and I certainly think they did try and bring bodies in you know that there was that sort of late search um to try and sort of find both replacements for Wood and um, John Joe Shelby. I know they obviously bought uh, Anthony Gordon in. Well, that was another attacking outlet for them. Um, did they run out of time? Did they not want to pay? You know, January notoriously is a very hard window. Made even more hard, you know, when you, you're caught on the hop as, as they were with Shelby. Do you think there'll be a learning curve from it? Yeah, regardless of whether yeah, where, where Newcastle finish? Absolutely. I think there'll have been a, a, a learning curve from pretty much every window this new ownership's had. I think January, 
2022 taught them that sometimes you just need to spend to get out of trouble or to get you over the line. Some I probably taught them that you can go back in for targets that you've previously missed out on, Sven Botman. Um, and I think Hugo Ekatike missing out on him was a big learning curve for them and one that's actually turned out quite well. And January, I'm sure, is... I think there's two sides to look at January. Newcastle did very well to get the finances they did for Chris Wood. Let's, you know, let, and John Joe Shelby wanted to go. Eddie Howe didn't want to stand on his way. Fair play. But I think they'll look at that and think if they could have their time over again, they would have maybe done things differently. Yeah, next time next you get time the replacement around. and then you let um, you know, your, your, your player go, perhaps. Les says, I think Shelby moved quite everyone by surprise, to be fair. Yeah. Too late in the winter to react too good of a deal to ignore which is what you've just said there Aaron um, we've got loads of comments coming in which is which is brilliant um, Roger says who could we hypothetically have gotten for midfield on loan I think we've kind of gone through the realistic options I mean if we look more permanently you know they were linked to the likes of David Louise, James Ward-Prowse but again as you say there if it's one thing moving your transfer plans for us it's another thing also having to readjust the budget. And also, you know, it's something that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast. They, they spent 40, 48 million roughly in January on, on, on Ashby and Gordon um, in today's market by no means a lot of money. And I think they did that and kept their powder relatively dry knowing that they've got a huge game-changing transformational summer coming up where they, did they maybe want to keep enough in the bank? to make sure they've got it. And I know what you're saying, should they have just brought it forward, but they were third in the league at the time. You know, Eddie Howe and, and Dan Ashworth maybe thought we've got enough to get us over. They probably didn't expect, you know, the, there's probably been, you know, only a, a brief period since January where every single midfield has been fit. Obviously, Bruno rolled his ankle in Feb. Joe Linton's had a spell out. Willick did his hamstring. Longstaff's got his foot injury. They've been quite unlucky with the injuries. So, I'm not too sure. I guess, though, playing devil's advocate, if Newcastle miss out on top four football, which they won't, but if they <laughs> did, would people then come back and say, you know, you, you gambled, it hasn't paid off, this is the best chance to really get into that top four because next season you're going to have three or four teams who've totally failed this season come back out of force, and Newcastle will be a force, but what you can do in the summer if you're in the Champions League compared to what you can do in the Europa League is... Is it's a sizable difference? I, I don't think you can. I don't think if they miss out on the top four, which they won't, as, as you've just said, I, I fully agree with you. I don't think you'd look back and think, oh, "Well, they lost it in January," because I don't think they did. Um, I think they've just lost it by a little bit of bad luck and just sort of maybe run out of steam. But I don't think. It, look, it's impossible to say. If they, if they got a new midfielder in January, everything could have been different. It, it, it's all very hypothetical. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Mouage says we should have recruited a, a midfielder back in January, at least one low knee. Mighty Wynn says I'm, I'm a bit of a Shelby fan, but I do really think he could have made a difference to our current dip perform. Um, what do, sorry, does he really think um, he could have made a difference? Not really. I, I agree with you on that. Roger says I agree, Aaron. Yet on the flip side, we now have. Uh, we, now, we now have an, an extra number to get rid of, i.e., Shelby. Uh, Darren says, when key players are out, you hope someone would step up and deliver like Anderson or Gordon pushing for the first team exactly. and to add goals to the side. And there was a lot of calls here uh, for Anderson asking, why can't he get a game? Several of you are asking that question. 
I guess, yeah, and that's the question. Why can't Elliot Anderson do a job in the middle of the park? I've been scratching my head about this one ever since that away game at Forest. I thought that would be the game where he kicks on. He's finally sort of arrived in the Premier League. A very good performance off the bench when they needed him. Obviously, that goal that was ruled out. And ever since then, we've seen him for, what, 10, 15 minutes off the bench and just sort of wanted a bit more. I, 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 I can't understand why how hasn't given him more time. On Darren Lee's comment, I completely agree. I think you know it's unfair to say that he hasn't stepped up. He can only do what he can with the minutes he's given. I think Gordon is another one who, you know, the move hasn't really worked out so far when they probably needed it to, you know, sharpish. But there's obviously a lot of outside factors around that on in, in terms of how he left Everton, his injuries and the minutes he's been given. So yeah, it, it's a tricky one. Now we often have big big calls on this podcast from our regular viewers and, and we love it. Every week we love it. And here is one that is probably the call of the week. <laughs> to kind of phrase, says, don't we have any academy defensive midfielders? Feeling that, try Trippier there and play Ashby. Ooh, now, if you'd asked me to consider what options to, uh, how to fill that gap, how to help out Bruno in the middle of the park, not in a month of Sundays would I have come up with that one. Liverpool have tried it with Trent and, and that's worked out well. It wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Um, you know, I'd seen a lot of people also, well, not a lot of people, that's probably an exaggeration, but a few people saying Shelby's played there before. Uh, sorry, not Shelby. Fabian Scher's played there before. Probably not for me. I think, you know, him and Botman have obviously struck up a very good partnership. There's options there, but I think it, it goes back to what we said earlier in the show. Eddie Howe, three games left, three huge games left is not going to tinker and try anything like that that he hasn't tried before. I think, as the comments have been saying, he'd rather play a one-legged Bruno in that position than try and risk Kieran Trippier in there. But it's a very good shout and want to maybe consider next season. And I guess with Kieran Trippier looking a little bit tired as well, it's probably not the best position to try him in either. Um, Ashley says, this is like a post-mortem. <laughs> Remember, Champions League qualification is still in our hands with two wins out of three, and that's assuming Liverpool win all the games. Ashley, were you watching the start of the show? <laughs> I did a positive monologue. It was uh, full of positivity. We're not we're not even considering Newcastle missing out on, on the top four. Once we're finished, you'll have to go back and watch it and have it on repeat because you can see that me now are in the well, at least me, I'm positive it's going to happen. Starting with Thursday and the roar of the Gallagher's. Uh, let's get back to uh, the, the rest of the Leeds game then. Um, the handball, ball into the box, Isaac again involved and Fairpool, you know, no, he catches it. He certainly punches it. No, not not. I don't even understand why he had to go to the bar. Justice was served in the end, by the way, on, on him getting a red card. But I cannot, and I and I tweeted this out at the time. I cannot understand for life of me how he has handled the ball like an NBA player above his head, and the referee hasn't given him a yellow card, even though five minutes earlier, VAR had to check whether it was a yellow or red card for that tackle. I mean, if he had obviously got sent off in the end that Gordon tackle, but. I just can't understand it. No, it's very bizarre. I think the decision on the tackle against Bruno was the right decision. He's yeah, very same. fortunate. It's fine margins because that boot is just a couple of inches kind of upwards. It's a red card and it's potentially, a, well, a season-ending uh, tackle on, on Bruno Gomes. He's very fortunate. Very fortunate Bruno didn't react in the way that I think many assumed he would have done. Um, yeah, and then the handball. He's just... You know, Leeds fans, I think, have often criticised Fairport. And you mentioned on the show that Isaac's not got a chance at left-back. Well, you ask Leeds fans, <laughs> they'll probably take Isaac at left-back because Fairport yeah. just doesn't seem capable of uh, 
performing uh, well. It left back, but yeah, and then you have Callum Wilson taking the spot kick. Uh, Rob Lezen goal, Leeds United goalkeeper, you know, pointing where he wants it. The antics, he gets booked, and just a bit of gamemanship, and, and Callum Wilson sticks it in the back of the net. 17 goals this season. Yeah, game management if it's a Leeds defender or Leeds goalkeeper doing that. Time wasting if it's a Newcastle defender or goalkeeper doing that, I think, is is the rules this season. But yeah, that Callum Wilson penalty, the second one, that takes some bottle to just side foot it down the, the middle of the goal after already taking one. And that was, you know, probably my favourite moment of the game. I thought it was a fantastic penalty. Um, but yeah, Leeds maybe just practising a little bit of the dark arts for that penalty. Have they learnt from Newcastle? I was going to say, taking maybe, a page yeah, out of their book. Maybe they've been watching now. We've got a few comments here from Simon, and um, I'll, I'll just read them out. He doesn't. He, he's not overly pleased, I don't think, with Newcastle United's performance. He says, "Stop everyone making pathetic excuses. There's one and only one reason why Leeds, uh, why they drop points against Leeds. They wanted it more than we did. End of story." And he's also said, "You know, tiredness isn't an excuse for Newcastle United." So. He's one Newcastle United fan. I'm assuming he's a Newcastle United fan who um, isn't happy with what he saw on Saturday. I agree to a certain extent about Leeds wanting it more. They certainly seem to want more in the first half. Uh, and obviously they rallied late in the second half. But I think there's a question to whether they wanted it more or whether Newcastle were just tired. Or are the two, do you have to talk about one and the other at the same time? Did Leeds want it more? I think it was just a poor Newcastle performance and I just think they didn't create enough in attack from open play. They didn't um, defend well enough for the opening goal. The second goal at the end, I think it's an unlucky one to concede. Poor probably gathers that if, if it doesn't ping off Trippier's head. We'll never know. But I think I just think it just wasn't the Newcastle that we've been used to seeing and I think you know these things can happen. We've seen it in the you know recent games. We saw it at Arsenal. You know, it was just a game where they just they just weren't themselves, I think. Do you see nerves creeping in? Cause I've asked this last week. I asked it at Gibbo and he said there's not a, not a shadow of doubt they'll be fine. I, I'm hoping the answer's no and that what Eddie can do this week is just, like I say, go over what went wrong and you can you can fix that. Because I think, well, I think what's another positive to take from the performance against Leeds is that what went wrong in many ways is very fixable. It's and it's not happening all the time. Like some, I said school, but it's schoolboy defending, you know. So it is the basics not getting done, but it's not every week. When our previous managers, the basics were not getting done every single week, and it seemed to be ingrained within them. Whereas I think what we're seeing here is what once every eight or nine games, mm-hmm. you know, they let themselves down. But it's because they've set the bar so high that we've come to expect them doing the basics every single week. Exactly. So I think. Anyhow, we'll go into this week into the training ground and say, look, you've done it for 95% of the season. You yeah. know, Get closer to your man. Don't stand off. Be better when you've got the ball at your feet. Bruno, release it quicker. You, know, you can do it. You've shown you can do it. So go out and do it on Thursday. I think we do, and it's not just us, I think the fan base as a whole, I think we do sort of forget, which is natural, where this team has come from. It's just a short space of time. This Newcastle last season was having those games against Leeds every other week, as you say. In terms of your first question, are they nervous? I don't think that was a nervous performance Saturday. I think when you've got players like Trippier and Callum Wilson in that dressing room with Eddie Howe, you know, barking instructions and being ultra-driven, I don't think you can be nervous. I think 
Eddie Howe will be saying what we've been saying. It's in their hands. They just need to go out and perform as they've performed for 90% of the season at St. James's Park. I don't think that was a nervous performance and, and I don't think they will be nervous. I think I'm maybe the only nervous one, but um, a nice early goal Thursday, kill the game, three points, hopefully a Leicester result tonight and we'll be thinking, what will, what was I ever worried about? I think Leicester will beat Liverpool tonight. I think I think they will do. Um, the equaliser then, because when you get yourself into a winning position, Eddie Howe referenced it in his post-match presser, you want to, you need to be holding on to that that lead. So why did it slip? I don't know. Maybe tiredness. I think Newcastle, as I said earlier in the show, when they went two and up, I thought, right, kick on, get the third goal, kill it. Leads aren't coming back from that, and they didn't. And they sort of gave Leeds and the crowd maybe a little bit of hope. And as I said, in terms of the goal, Newcastle actually did quite well to clear the lines first time around, and then obviously Christensen hits that hit deflection, Pope's beaten. Yeah, I think Newcastle just failed to kill it when, when they had the chance in the second half. Yeah, because looking back on that second goal, the equaliser, they, did, like, see, they didn't do too much wrong in terms of getting it clear. You know, they put they had to put their bodies on the line. It wasn't there wasn't really an instance where they could just whack it up the field and it's just unfortunate that it's hit Trippier and, and, and gone past Pope. I've seen a bit of stick for, for the initial corner being conceded. I'm not really sure what Trippier could have done. He, he had to clear the lines. He concedes a corner. If that's clear, but, you know, you're not remembering... That corner, so I think it's just a wee bit unfortunate, but nonetheless very frustrating that they didn't manage to hold on. Um, you know, at the end they're playing against ten men for a few minutes. Beautiful ball by Bruno, and this is probably like this is when we when we're talking about Bruno and whether we rest him and whether you know you bring him off with you know fifteen minutes left, what have you. It, it it's an even harder discussion to have because even though he's not his best, some of the passes he was playing on Saturday were unbelievable. I mean, that ball to Anthony Gordon yeah, was absolutely superb. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've seen a lot about his stats, actually. I had his stats written down. He still made the most accurate passes um, in the whole entire game. Now, his his accurate percentage rate was down. I think it was about 78%, and there was four or five Newcastle players a bit higher than them. But in terms of actual passes... He was the highest Newcastle United player, so he obviously he's still key to this this uh, team, and it just goes back to to your original point to the question: is if you drop them, if you rest them, yeah, who on earth are you resting them for? And we're so used to Bruno consistently dropping nine out of ten performances or ten out of ten performances that when he does have, you know, a few games where he's dropping fives or six or sevens, in, in our opinion, it's noticeable, you know. But ultimately, as you say, that ball to Anthony Gordon at the very end of the game, and this is a player we've just been saying looks tired and isn't fully fit. 90th minute, he's playing that ball over the top of Gordon um, to draw Furtbo in that red card. Yeah. Do so, you think opposition teams have come to target Bruno and yeah. they, they, they have kind of worked out that if you get on top of him and if you get in on or rattle them, he doesn't like it. He's either going to react to you or he's going to maybe go into his shell a little bit. He needs time and space on the ball to, to work his magic. Uh, oh, I think teams have absolutely 100%. A lot of teams this season have, have went out there with the sole purpose of trying to stop him. I remember when Manchester United came to St James's Park last, last month and Scott McTominay for the first 15 games just literally did not leave Bruno's side until he realised that he wasn't getting anywhere near him and they changed it up. Arsenal last week really targeted him, didn't give him an inch as we talked about last week. That midfield was swarming him. 
And I think we saw the same on, on Saturday at Leeds. I think clubs now know that if you let them play and you give them time and space, this Newcastle team can pick you apart. And I think this is why we maybe need another midfielder brought in in the summer just to try and take a little bit of that pressure off Bruno in the middle. And Gary says Bruno's been getting caught in possession the last few weeks. Don't know if that's because he's carrying an ankle injury. And this is going to sound really weird, but what has been... Don't laugh. <laughs> laugh. Wait until I finish the sentence. What's been sort of refreshing, again, I appreciate it's going to sound weird, is I totally agree with, with what Gary's just said there. You know, We're talking about Bruno not being at his best, being below a par. And I think Newcastle United of all, they were scared to criticise their best player, the fans. But what we're actually seeing, I think, is is honestly with the fan base and going, well, actually, you know what? He's not being at his best. And yes, some are going, well, it's down the injury, but some are saying, well, it, that, regardless of that, he's got to do better. And I don't know, there's just something refreshing about that. And I, I don't know, it rolls into where Newcastle United are going. They're not just relying on one player all the time. I don't know, I just, I just think there is something refreshing about Newcastle fans being honest when it comes to the performance of arguably their best player in the squad. And I think I think a lot of Newcastle United fans know that, as I, as I touched on earlier, he's been here, what, 15, 16 months now, and he hasn't actually ever, you know, went through a really barren run of, you know, dropping absolute stinkers. And I don't think he is at the minute. He just isn't looking, you know, as sharpest. He isn't looking um, as comfortable. He isn't keeping the ball as well as he used to. Um, and that's absolutely fine because he's been due... A spell like this, it's just unfortunate that it's coming at a you know a really crucial period of games. Uh, Christopher says, I think Bruno underperforming against Leeds. I think he needs a rest for one game. Christopher, who would you play in place of Bruno? Let us know. Uh, Brian says, totally agree. Bruno's been caught on the ball too much. A fit and active Anderson is a, a less of a risk. There's lots of calls finally Anderson to get yeah. the nod. If that was to happen, which we don't think it will, but if that was to happen. Is it because Julian didn't have the best of games as the number six? So you can't, can you play the Anderson as the number six? I don't no, think that would work. So what what do you do? How do you do that? Because Willick's not going to go anywhere. I you, think I think it's simple. I think you play Julian deep as we saw him start out against Leeds on on Sunday. But there's on only Saturday, one sorry. game recently where that's worked, and that was where against Brentford when he was switched into that. Longstaff was sacrificed. He was switched into it. It worked wonderfully. He then played the similar position, didn't he, against Villa, and it was it was torrid. But you can't you can't play Elliot Anderson there. He's too attacking. Joe Willock isn't going to sit. He, he he doesn't suit sitting. Joe Linton really is the only option if you go with that midfield three. I think you'd then put Anderson sort of central left. You'd have Willock maybe out on the right. But again, Willock doesn't really play down that flank these days. That's usually the long staff role. So. I don't know. It's, it's question marks for how if he does drop Bruno. Chris, Christopher has come back and said he would play Anderson. We've got David saying, I worry about how tired the team looks without Europe and without a winter break. The way how likes to play requires a large squad, so additions yeah, needed small. in the summer. And that leads us on to a bit of transfer news. Uh, this morning, uh, Sky over in Germany, Austria, uh, have linked Newcastle United with a player from Leipzig called... Uh, Dominic Sobersly is, I think, how you pronounce we'll go it. With that, seventy million pounds is yeah. the rumoured. Gal Clausy, I did see him linked a couple of weeks back as well. That is the kind of elite market Newcastle United are shopping in. Mm-hmm. However, considering David's comment there, you know, are you going to go out and spend seventy million on one player and take a significant chunk of your budget out when really you need maybe eight, nine additions? 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually. When these uh, Soberslide links came out this morning, there was a little bit of debate on that topic on Twitter, and and uh, Kev Lawson and Newcastle United fan was one of the people that tweeted that said actually, I would want us to see sign. I would want Newcastle to sign three first team additions in the summer rather than five or six. I think a lot of people, if you'd ask them that question, they'll say I want six or seven to make sure you've got enough depth. Um, it all depends on their budget. It all depends on what competition they're playing in next season, obviously, which is going to be the Champions League, um, touch wood. So, yeah, very interesting, but you know, a, a player of his talent, um, Hungarian international, very, very highly rated, one of the Bundesliga's best players in recent years. Um, he would be absolutely fantastic. John says, I'd rather not. And another surprising uh, element of today's show, there's been so many comments asking about Isaac Hayden. I can't work out whether there have been people have been serious. We've got another one saying here, Hayden is coming back. Um, a lot of people asking, do you think Isaac Hayden has a future in this Newcastle United squad going into the next season? No. But I think, again, maybe if Eddie Howard had his time again, he might have thought about keeping him. But I don't personally think Isaac Hayden has a future. Um, we obviously know he's coming back because his clause wasn't met in his Norwich loan deal, which was... Uh, a clause that would see him stay permanently if they got promoted, which they didn't. Um, but no, I don't think he has, which is unfortunate because he's a very, very nice guy, but I don't think so. Roger Cook says, what three positions, Aaron? Ooh, if, if you could give me three first-team positions right now uh, to improve this summer, I would get a first-team holder midfielder at number six. I would get a first-choice left-back. No disrespect to Dan Byrne. I think you just need someone a little bit more uh, comfortable on the ball, maybe a bit better going forward. And I think I would sign, um, a, and I'm really sorry as the, as the founder of the Mickey Almiron fan club, but I think I would sign a, a first-choice right midfielder as well. Okay, let me guess. I can guess at least one of those names. Yeah. Like Musa Diaby is going to be that one. Definitely. Left-back-wise, oh, I can't really think of a left-back off the top of my head that I'd be looking at. A lot of um, links to Kieran Cherney, and I get it. The chap at uh, the chap at Brentford, I like um, Nico Henry. Henry, yeah. Could, could he do a job? I think he's done a good enough job so far for Brentford. He could be a decent decent addition to give a bit of competition to to burn and target. And then you said a defensive midfielder, yeah. Yeah, defensive midfielder. Um, I'm not. Really, I don't really have a preference on that. There's no really sticking out. Um, a lot of players being linked at the minute, which I think we're going to see more and more of. Tyler Adams linked. Tyler Adams linked. That. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of links in the next couple of weeks. I, I can be sure of that. John says, the absence of Longstaff and Bruno at 80% makes Thursday very tough. I'm trying to work out if a draw would be okay, and I think it probably would. Brighton seem class at the moment. Do you agree? They do. They look excellent. But hey, Everton beat them. You just it, look, I'm not getting overly concerned about what happened on Sunday against Arsenal. Arsenal were nervous. They knew the title was pretty much done and dusted. They had to win. You know, that plays into it. And look, if, if Everton could beat Brighton, then Newcastle can go out and beat Brighton. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yep, exactly that. And I think we've seen so many teams come to St James's Park this season and fans haven't been confident and they've blown them all away. So th there's reasons to be confident despite Brighton's uh, surge at the table. John says, would you take James Ward-Prowse now Southampton are relegated? Would you take James Ward-Prowse? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I'm, I'm really would. I'm I'm very surprised yeah. by that. It's not as if you there's an Everything is Black and White podcast exclusive. Andrew Musgrove, big fan of James Ward-Prowse. Uh, we've got the mighty win, says Grimaldo, Diaby and Harry Kane. 
Grimaldo has just and... joined Leverkusen this morning. Oh, so that one's go. ruled out, unfortunately. Well, they're going to need... They might need to sell then yeah. to pay for that. And who could they sell? Oh, look at that. It's like it's working. It's, it's <laughs> like someone's plan is working. Roger says, Diaby could fill both right wing and striker. Uh, and he says he agrees with you, uh, defensive midfielder and left back, left back definitely. Uh, David says Brighton are a bit of a bogey team, so he seems a little bit worried about Thursday. John says the double-barrelled name full-back at Southampton, Walker Peters might be, yeah, that is him, uh, could be good. I don't know, I've not been overly impressed with, the, with him. I think you're looking for p- players who stand out in a relegated relegation threatened side or we're now relegated side James Ward-Prowse I think is one of those names you have the chap up front who's done alright Marcus I mean I wasn't overly impressed when I watched him the other week at St James's Park I think there's probably better left backs out there I think also if you're going to go out and sign a left back you're going to go out and sign someone who's much better than Dan Byrne and I think Dan Byrne mm. is better than Walker Walker Piers. I'm going to slightly disagree on that. I think he had a really good start the season. Um, was actually surprised Tottenham let him go when they did Southampton. Um, can play right back, can play left back. Wouldn't be too, wouldn't be so against that. There you go. Look at that. Uh, keep dropping your suggestions into the comments, and I'll put them to Aaron. We will uh, discuss uh, the names. The more interesting ones, the better. Let's just quickly hear from Eddie Howe in his press comments after the Leeds game. This is what he had to say when he was asked about uh, taking positives from the game and just remaining positive after uh, the result against Leeds. Yeah, I think we we have to be very positive. I think we're disappointed not to win today. I think it was a, a great chance for us with the lead and not long left in the match. But we have to accept what happened. Um, it's still in our hands. We have three huge games to come. I think, again, you have to revert back. You have sometimes have to take yourself back to the start of the season and what we would have thought to have been in this position now. And um, everyone at the club would have would have taken that. So it's in our hands and we have to be very positive about what's ahead. And just to be clear, Jason Tindall didn't hold his own press conference. <laughs> he is on the green screen behind me, though. Do you sense... I mean, you're in the press conferences more than I am when it comes to Eddie Howe. Is that Eddie Howe... The normal Eddie Howe, or are you sensing a little bit of nervousness? Is that just is that just Eddie Howe is normal? Newcastle United could win the league, um, <laughs> and I think we get the same Eddie Howe as we do every week. There's just he's very very consistent Eddie Howe. Win or lose, um, I don't think there'll be any panic. I think as he always says, and we always criticise him for it for not getting too carried away. It's focus on the next game. I agree with what he says in that clip. You got to go back to the start of the season, and if someone said you're going to be playing Europa League football, and you've got to be, and you're going to be in a cup final, you would have sat the hand off. I get the disappointment around it. Do you think Arsenal and Michael Arteta are sitting in the dressing room, sitting in his office today, following a similar train of thought? There, though, it's, that's that's completely different. That is a completely different Arsenal last season were already playing European football. Yes, nobody gave them a chance to win the league. This Newcastle United team nearly got relegated last year. And that when I was talking about them being, you know, pulled for the Champions League. Do you want to take my script? You can reread no, them look, I'm just trying to play Dallas advocate and, and I've got to just say that everybody wants to finish in the Champions League. I think they will. It would be a fantastic achievement. But you've got to just sort of remember the goalposts have been shifted so much. No, it will be a tremendous season regardless of where Newcastle United finish. But it will be in the top four. Yeah. Uh, the uh, A lot of people talking about Kieran Tini. Now he did start for Arsenal 
um, yesterday, and he has, uh, obviously, he's battling the Sunshine Sound Court. You know, a lot, a lot of people like him. A lot of people do like him. He brings a bit of leadership. He would be a superb upgrade on Dan Byrne. But, it's, I mean, it takes something for Arsenal to sell, sell him to a direct rival because as much as this is Newcastle's best opportunity to get into the top four and really, you know, rattle the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea and Man United, the same goes for Arsenal. This was probably the best chance they had to win the Premier League. And now they know that next season they're going to be in the battle for the top four, but against Newcastle and against maybe Villa and against other teams that aren't there this season, are they really going to go and strengthen a rival? Probably not. Um, we saw it earlier this season, the likes of Chelsea and other teams around them not wanting to help Newcastle. And I think we'll see a lot of that this summer. Everybody I've spoken to, um, every Arsenal fan I've spoken to about Kieran Tierney, always says the same thing. Would be fantastic for you. It would be a very good signing for £25 million, But his injury record is concerning. And I think that's the one the one negative sort of pulling it down. The mighty win says Gunners fan pods are slating Tierney. Well, from what I've heard up here, Newcastle, I'm um, big fans of him. So um, I suppose everyone's got their opinion, but I'm sure Newcastle have done their homework on him. David says, I'd rather we spend £40 million on a central midfielder over Gordon. Could have revisited Gordon in the summer. Um, Graham says, would love at least very under the radar. I think he will be superstar as he as well. So another one from Palace, who I think could, could definitely do uh, a, a job. Um, yeah, loads of people talking about who they could bring in in the summer. It's going to be very exciting to see who indeed they do come in. I'm just going to go back to one of the comments that the mighty win um, made. I'll tell you what, on, on that name, the mighty win, mighty win Davies, could he, could, he could have done a job in this. Uh, yep. Well, I suppose he'd have to put the ball in the box, which Newcastle <laughs> can't seem to do. And that leads us on actually, because well, let me, first of all, just on this con from, from the mighty win, I don't agree with that. I do not agree that if you sign players from relegated sides that they come in and you know your level drops and you will end up dropping. Not at all. Not at all. Liverpool, this just for an example, won the league, having signed Andy Robertson from Championship Club, Ginny Wildnaldum from a certain Championship Club. I can't remember who that was, and Sadio Mane from Southampton. So it can be done. Don't be put off by teams getting relegated. Um, players, you can actually get some bargains, as David Stratton says here. Nick Pope got relegated. He did. Exactly. He did. So there are players to be to be bought from relegated sides and from the championship as well. Um, what, what, I totally forgot what else we were going to talk about there. Oh, yes. Now I remember. I've tried to erase it from my mind. Now, it, 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 it's a running joke with the, the chap I sit next to at the games that every time we get a corner or a free kick, um, I'll just say it's not going to beat the first man. And very, very rarely it beats the first man. And the comments on social media this weekend about Newcastle's inability to make the most of set pieces, it's been raging, hasn't it? Like people are fuming rightly because we just don't make Newcastle just don't make the most of set pieces. And very rarely the corners they just don't beat the first man. And when you've got the likes of Botman, the likes of Dan Byrne, the likes of Cher, who are good with a head, are tall, big, you've got to be making the most of getting those balls in the box. And and recently they just have not been doing that. Yeah, Trippier for all his strengths, um, and we know he's very, very good from dead balls. Uh, players, he's very good at, you know, taking free kicks when he's in a shooting position. But for whatever reason, and it's, what's really interesting is that Newcastle start the season in blistering form from corners. They were trying all these new routines. It was working. Eddie Howe, you know, 
was getting loaded for it in the press conference. He was saying, no, no, it's Tyndall and Weatherstone and Purchase and Graham Jones. It's them that are doing the work on the training ground. And for whatever reason, it's just it's just dried up. Yeah, so what, what's the solution? Well, I, I, yeah, I wrote a piece about this yesterday. Um, and I think Newcastle in the summer would do really, really well to go out and sign a proper set-piece specialist. A lot of top clubs are getting them now. Um, you know, Tottenham's, for example, under Conte, uh, Giovanni Vio, he had something ridiculous like um, 4,000 corner routines to, to go from in his arsenal. Um, Manchester City, Pep went out and signed the best of the best last season. They scored from 24 set pieces, conceded from one. Very, very good. A, a Premier League record, I believe. Um, and even Liverpool in, in recent years have gone out and signed a throwing coach, which seemed ridiculous at the time, but um, is clearly well-renowned. So I think Newcastle in the summer, they've done very well bringing in boardroom staff and coaches and analysts and what they're not but I think a set piece specialist would be would be suited for them James Ward-Prowse exactly I would find players you know if they don't beat the first man <laughs> or the corner I'd be finding them to disgrace it really is you're fresh footballers you've got to be beating the first man absolute joke um, as Brian says starting joke with my mate that we never score from corners I don't actually sit next to Brian but he clearly has the same sense of humour <laughs> that I do um, we've got <laughs> Mighty Wim coming back on our comments about relegated players meanwhile Pep signed Mares, Grealish and Stone but what I would say to that is I mean Mares cost about two quid from France didn't he from uh, first Grealish, division yeah. side so you know these players of all and, and Grealish I mean Villa what would just survive relegation I think when he moved to City so it's not like you know these players were flying high and Aaron has closed his booklet there but I think he may have forgotten that I have some trivia from the oh, weekly trivia no. did you forget the weekly trivia I did forget so Callum Wilson ladies and gents 17 Premier League goals this season the first time that's been done since Alan Shearer 2003-2004 so I've gone back I haven't gone back as far as that, mm -hmm. but I've gone back to the 2010-11 season. Okay. Can you can you name the top scorers from each of those seasons, not including the, the season Newcastle were down in the championship? And can you put them in order? So I will help you out. Mm -hmm. Callum Wilson tops the list. He okay. tops the list. 17 goals. So what I will do is I will then give you this season to help yeah. you out because I'm feeling kind. Mm -hmm. So next, 2011, 2012. CC? No. Bar. Denver Bar. Now, do you know how many goals he got? 14. Got 16 goals. So that leads us on to next in the list, 2013, 2014. But what I'll do is to make it easy, for, I'll give you the number of goals to score and you can just tell me the player. Okay. Right. So next in the list, with 14 goals 2013 2014 Ooh, do, 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 do. Remy like Remy ladies and gents right number 4 on the list 2012 2013 with 13 goals see sir nope nah I don't know this one Demba Bar Bar again which just interestingly, because we were speaking again off camera, obviously the whole Isaac Wilson experiment that some are calling it, we saw that under Pardew, didn't we, where the, it was a boy forced out on the left, or yeah, was it, yeah, it, so. it just didn't work. And sometimes you just maybe got to, got to just concede you can't get both players into into a side. Yep, it's maybe looking like that at the minute with, with those two. 
So next, you have you have three options here. Okay. So um, three players on twelve goals. Okay. Um, which we'll go with 2010, 2011. I'll give you the easy one. The easy one. I think Castle 2010, mind, 2011. Long time there. 12 goals. I'll give you the years you got. 2020, 21, uh, and 2018, 2019. I think the 1891 might be Ginny Wijnaldum. No. No. Oh. Goodness me. That is a horrendous guess. No, he, he, he generally hit a good 10 or 11. No, he did, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. But not that season. Oh, God, it was a season where they went down, didn't they? Oh, God, yeah, it was a couple of seasons after. <laughs> right, right. Anyway. 10-11, um, I, I can't can't get my mind back that, that far. Kevin Nolan, mm. 12 goals, and then you have another two on 12. 18-19. Perez. Perez, and then 20-21. Wilson. Wilson. There we go, right, sixth. You've got two players who are number six on the list. Uh, 14, 15, and 15, 16. 11 goals. Ginny Wijnaldum. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one and only season to Newcastle before he moved to Liverpool. I mean, the worst thing is you actually mentioned just before when he let... Yeah, yeah I know, yeah. I know. And what was the other season? 14, 15. With 11 goals. Yeah. 14, 15 would have been... John's mentioned Andy Carroll. I'm not sure if he's taking the mick out of me there or not, <laughs> to be fair. 14-15. No, I'm not sure on that one. Pabe Sisse. Sisse again. Yeah. And then we go to number seven on the list. Two players with eight goals. One in 17-18 and one in 21-22. Uh, last season. Last season was... Um, Wilson again. Wilson again. And then 17-18... Mitrovic. Perez. Oof. Eight goals. And then finally, which is probably the hardest one to get actually, 2019, 2020 with six goals. I'm not sure many people will get this because I certainly didn't get Shelby. it. Shelby. Get out. Yeah, Shelby. Okay, maybe not as difficult as I thought. Yep. John Joe Shelby. Redeemed by, for Andy Carroll. I don't know. We'll leave that <laughs> up to the people in the comments. I'm not really sure you're going to ever redeem that Andy Carroll uh, guess there. But yes, this has been the other thing as Black and White Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you don't already follow us on your podcast provider, do, do please hit that uh, subscribe button and leave us a rating and review if you get a chance. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. And just a reminder that tickets to our live event are still on sale, taking place on Thursday, the 25th of May, with Aaron, Kieran, Kelly, Lee Ryder, Simon Bird, Matthew Raisbeck, and Norbertus Lauren. Just a handful of tickets uh, left, so please do go over and get those. Uh, tickets cost £5, including fees. It's set to be a great night. For me and Aaron, we'll see you very soon. Mm-hmm.